Welcome to today's Flying Talkers. This is Jeffrey Aaron. Can I tell you a story? It's a story of an airline went out of business a couple of weeks ago called Alitalia. The story is presented by Marco Sorgetti, the Logistics Hall of Fame former Director General of Fiat, the greatest Director General that organization has seen in its nearly 100-year history. Marco writes from Turin, When I was very young, I saw my linguistic aptitude as an advantage in the fascinating cosmopolitan world of airlines. Just after college, I sent my application as flight attendant to Alitalia. To my surprise, the entire interview, which took place a few months later, was held in Italian and my language skills were not examined. The first question was, who suggested you should apply for this job? Clearly, there had been no suggestion for me, so my application remained unfulfilled. I have happily worked in logistics and freight for the rest of my life. My would-have-been employer, Alitalia, is now officially defunct, and this actually means no joy for anybody. My intuition is that today's morning is only one in many and perhaps not even the last one considering the phoenix-like nature of the animal. Jeffrey, that's yours truly, your moderator here, Jeffrey and I exchanged some thoughts about this epilogue of the Alitalia saga, which is aptly summarized in some pictures that have appeared in the paper everywhere, including some flight attendants last week that stood centerpiece of Rome, took off their uniforms and protested the loss of their pensions, but more than anything, the emotional and passionate loss of their airline. But the pictures, one picture tells a thousand words, a lot of agony about Alitalia out there for sure. I was wondering why I felt so romantically involved with Alitalia, Jeffrey speaks. I recall the historic first Italian flyer's epic flights when Edlo Balbo flew to the Chicago World's Fair in 1933 with two dozen flying boats. One should honor Italian aviation for such feat as well as others. Carina Massoni Negroni's achievements come to mind. She splendidly honored Italian aviation with her premieres in the face of the fascist idea that women should become the angels of the hearth and leave the rest of the world to men. RAI Storia, definitely a TV channel worth watching for anyone who understands Italian, recently celebrated Karina's incredible achievements in a special review. You might want to pick it up. But Jeffrey also recalls some cargo workers living in a container outside of Hangar 6 at JFK where AZ Cargo operated. As Alitalia employees, they were on strike for what seemed like years back in the 1990s. Eventually the strike, after a couple of years, was settled and everyone knew the trouble with AZ was that no one ever lost their job or something along those lines. I wondered if the Italian style that lives so high in the air might be part of the story. Maybe too much of la dolce vita? Perhaps I wasn't very far from the truth, but the pictures that we see are more, more complicated. If you wish to continue listening, you'll get an idea of what we're talking about. 
We'll have the rest of the story right after this. Once again, welcome to today's Flying Talkers. We're glad you're here. Flying Talkers podcast brought to you today by your friends at PayCargo, the better way to pay and to save time and money. You see, PayCargo has a better idea. By simplifying the payment process to more than 3,000 vendors, cargo moves faster. PayCargo saves you time and money by expediting important data and funds to ensure rapid release of your cargo. Maybe best of all, you get the time to build your business assured that the Pay Cargo team is with you, providing trackable, tangible results every step of the way. So why wonder why most shipments in the Pay Cargo system get released in as little as one hour? Go to www.paycargo.com and explore a whole new way to pay and get paid. PayCargo offers flexible payment options and also available credit lines. And as the number one online platform in the world for cargo payments, www.paycargo.com can offer you a level of service, financial expertise, and connectivity that makes it easy to ship, click, and pay. So go to www.paycargo.com and get the rest of the story. Discover how PayCargo simplifies a better way to pay and get paid. And tell them Flying Talkers sent you. That's www.paycargo.com. Great people to do business with. Where to start, where to start, where to start. Okay, the good news is that ITA, the new Italian carrier, begins with 52 jets and 2,800 employees with a state investment of 1.35 billion euros over a three-year period. That's about half of the wings and about a third of the staff that Alitalia has just most recently employed. Now, the future of the other workers they're saying will be covered by a temporary layoff scheme paid by the government Italian taxpayers, as customary in any previous move of such importance that Alitalia had undergone in its seven-plus decades. You're watching TV in Italy, you could be moved by the poetic statements made by a young lady quoting Antoine saint Expori's Little Prince, which is shown on TV starting, well, I guess it started a couple of weeks ago, and the takeoff of the new airline, IGA. Frankly, I was not moved, and the cliché feeling prevailed. This is a story Italians have heard many times of their life, and they're getting tired of it. Marco writes, going back to Euronews, their article summarized Alitalia's epilogue with the following title, Plagued by Politics and Private Investors. One could add that trade unions have been giving their valuable contribution to the disaster for many, many years, perhaps thinking that defending Alitalia's workers' interests was a battle to be fought indefinitely using taxpayers' money in the face of common sense. But this doesn't work very well, as we all know. 
Following this trajectory through the years, one gets the picture that lifting a service company above market rules and expecting it to survive through subsidies is never a good idea. Obviously, this is just our opinion. After reading the facts, however, and listening to what we have to say, you might be able to make your own judgment, figure out where this is and where it should go. Let's start from the end. After a number of years, in bigger or smaller trouble, Alitalia ceased to exist as an operational carrier in October, that last month, after 74 years in the air. As usual, this happened in the middle of harsh political dispute. Quote, today, we are losing yet another jewel, a company that has forged the history of our nation and made us proud to be Italian, said the far-right opposition party leader, Giorgia Meloni. Perhaps it was a jewel. In my view, one whose cost was far greater than its value. In recent times, Etihad had realized their hopes were not coming to fruition and decided to ditch the expensive endeavors started in 2014 without forgetting to take back the London Heathrow slots that Alitalia had been using. In any case, Etihad were not the only suitors in the many years Alitalia spent looking for external support. Air France, KLM, Lufthansa Delta, and many others were falling in love with the idea of buying a room with a view of the Colosseum. In particular, two attempts were interesting from our point of view, and they were both stemming from the same chain of thought. KLM and Air France both wanted to expand southward. Talks with KLM started earlier, even before the times when Mr. Bisignani was IATA's boss. I knew of the talks, and I knew that they'd come so far that moving staff from KLM uh, from Rome to Amsterdam and vice versa. KLM saw the strategic development of having a hub in the north of Europe and another one in the south, actually right in the middle of the Mediterranean. I was thinking, and to some extent I'm still thinking, that's a pretty good idea. In fact, the merger never happened. The same thought came to mind with Mr. Spinetta, the almighty principal of Air France, which flirted with Alitalia since 2001 and was now merging with KLM. This is back in that time warp. The agreement could have saved the Italian taxpayer several years of indebtedness and was the best agreement in terms of saving jobs. It included guarantees to pay salaries for seven years, but since July 2002, the EU Commission was casting doubts about the possible marriage between Air France and Alitalia, and the meandering hostility was actually never lifted. Mr. Prodi, then at full steam in Italian politics, was ambivalent at best in his approach to Alitalia. Who was at fault? Italy. It was the politicians. It was the characters that were involved in taking over, or trying to take over, Alitalia at the time that made those decisions. According to Republica, the three courageous captains were Messrs. Benetton, Ligresi, and Gavio. Those informed about Italian affairs know that soon enough, Mr. Ligresi had to face trouble in court for other mergers, and the Benetton group had something to do with some highways and motorways that were under investigation. Their center of a dispute which interrupted after the collapse of the motorway bridge Morandi in Genoa in 2019, and Mr. Gavio, another motorway concessionaire, uh, rarely 
hits the news, but despite the almost limited amounts of cash that Italian and foreign motorway users pour into the various concessionaires, Ital Italia didn't manage to take off from the troubled waters in which it had paddled for so long. If memory doesn't fail me, this is also a time when a new Alitalia business plan was prepared, which was kept somewhat far from the limelight. There appears that the intention to absorb the main competitor, Air One, and consequently reconsider Alitalia's commercial offer. The evaporation of the main competitor in the scheme, the cargo operations, had to go together with maintenance, call centers, and other ancillaries, allegedly in order to concentrate on the core business. Alitalia was not alone in making such plans. In those years, I was flying SN Brussels to Turin at 15 euros, and when they had no seat for me, I could use Virgin Express almost just as cheaply. Then both merged into Brussels Airlines, eventually with Lufthansa in its DNA. The tickets were then qualified also on this route. When I told the EU Competition Authority that in my view the move was bad for consumers and customers, for the intervening lack of competition, they replied that the merger had taken place within Belgium, thus outside their scope. Considering that there had never been a passenger service between Brussels and Liège, Charterol, or Antwerp, my opinion remained unchanged. The merger had international consequences by its own nature, none in Belgium. In the end, Lufthansa also swallowed Air One in Italy. The EU aviation market was slowly changing before our eyes. Alitalia was still struggling, but his two suitors, Air France and KLM, who initially Alitalia contributed to acquaint after the Commission authorized their merger in 2004, eventually married, forgetting about their individual plans to conquer Rome. Alitalia continued dealing with its own ailments and persevered in the strategy of making ends meet in the room of politics rather than on the tarmac. The rest is in the latest news. Flying Talkers 2021, brought to you today by the people of ATC. From Frankfurt, Germany to the world, with offices open everywhere, ATC is the reliable general services and sales agent, GSSA, for top-rated customer satisfaction. If your airline is delivering service excellence, chances are ATC represents them somewhere. There's no secret sauce here. ATC's extraordinary expertise and service ethic harkens back to a time when results driven cargo executives were the product of a lifetime of best practices and great training. So contact ATC, One World, One Great Air Cargo GSSA. ATC Aviation can be contacted at atc.aviation.com and tell them Flying Talker sent you. That's atc-aviation.com. We're back. Just to give you an idea of what kind of ailment, when we're talking Alitalia, that we're talking about, if you Google the Italian expression, Crisi Alitalia, C-R-I-S-I Alitalia, which means something like Alitalia in trouble, you get evidence that Alitalia 
that was created in 1947, just after World War II, and started its first Chrissy in 1952, the year Marco was born. Then it had another Chrissy in 1965, followed by 71, 74, 78, 82, 86, 91, 93, 97, 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, 6, 7, and 8. We just stopped checking after that, okay? Because it's no longer a Chrissy situation, rather a persistent inability to remain in business, if not rescued by public money. At least that's my understanding. That's what was going on at Alitalia. 2002, well, Alitalia was actually profitable, $93 million. But some observed that was due to the money paid as severance by KLM when the deal shut down, or the supposed deal shut down. More or less, at that time, Fausto Soretti signed an agreement in Moscow to make Fumoncino a technical hub for Aeroflot. Some thought this was just the beginning of an agreement with Russia to open new windows in the east, forgetting that Moscow was hitting Alitalia with fines to keep it small in Russia, just as well as SAS, Finnair, and KLM learned at their own cost. In 2003, Berlusconi himself imposed his decision to stop redundancies, but in 2004, another plan was adopted to deal with the umpteenth Chrissy. This agreement with trade unions expected 289 pilots, 24, 90 ground, and 900 flight assistants to be made redundant. In other words, 3,679 employees of Alitalia would be paid with taxpayers' money rather than airfares. Another way to looking at this, in September 2003, Republica reported where it was clear that 48% of Alitalia's flight attendants had strategically called in sick, causing cancellation of 175 flights. Difficult to tell where the origin of all of this trouble is to be found. Surely, it is as difficult to appreciate the value of any of the rescue plans. In hindsight, they all lack vision and courage, but hindsight is the cheapest wear, as we know, on the market. I'm wondering what Mr. O'Leary would have thought about employing two employees on the ground for each one of 48% of them actually on the ground sick. Fact is that many direct domestic connections are now exploited by Ryanair within Italy. One may like Ryanair or not, but the service exists, and if you look and book early enough, you may travel cheaply, if not comfortably. For years, instead, Alitalia had privileged the Malpensa and Fulincino hubs also for domestic service, thus obliging its own passengers to stop and spend more time in the air and in the airports than any other carrier flying within the country. It would be difficult to imagine other governments in the acrobatics that kept Alitalia afloat for years. Italian politicians, save in the period of fast developments which started after World War II and lasted until 64, were regularly bailing Alitalia out of trouble. Each time the scheme was repeating itself, a large amount of workers is made redundant, trade unions strike for better working conditions, politicians impose new uh, aficionados of their own, and get employed at Alitalia in large numbers to please the unions. Then Alitalia starts making losses again, gets rescued by making other people redundant, etc. The scheme repeats itself. So of course, 
This is far from intentional. What is missing is the intention or courage to break the wicked cycle once it is observed. From other points of view, it's most difficult to believe that certain moves were not intentional. In 2008's bailout called the uh, Phoenix Procedure, the resurrected carrier confirmed most of the previously appointed managers who had assisted Alitalia out of its own business, and they brought back nearly the entire fleet, amongst which 23 MDDC-9s, not the epitome of innovation at the time. At the same year, the think tank Bruno Leone calculated that rescuing Alitalia we're talking 2008, would increase Italian aviation costs by 3 billion euros. One wonders whether in this year of 2021 is the time when this endless scheme suddenly comes to a halt or the phoenix will resurrect it from its ashes. Alitalia was not the only industry suffering from this problematic disease, but it was probably the enterprise where the situation peaked and produced the biggest controversy at all levels, even abroad. Marco Sorghetti writes, in 1964, I was a kid from Turin, the city of Fiat. I was keeping myself busy with statistics and graphs in which I was trying to compare the industrial development of Italy and Japan. Both countries emerged in tatters after the war, but development, and particularly automotive, was very fast until 1964, but then we had our first Chrissy, and our fast development took a nosedive. In the following years, we could only see Japan's contrail far away. In a row, we aligned the hot autumn, the long strike period, then the first and second petroleum crisis period of Mr. Craxy at the helm of the state followed and that was when Italians were told they had become rich and could spend and we managed to create one of the largest public debts in the world and we keep paying for it until this very day. So after 1965, which is the first Italian Chrissy that I can remember, there's never been the money to bail Alitalia out of trouble. Yet this is what has happened so many times until just last month, October 2021, amid the tears of the last employee. Years before, some of these employees would have easily made you feel sorry that you had pressed the button of the overhead compartment. Time will tell whether Alitalia is lost forever or not. Marco Sorghetti says, I never managed to become one of its flight attendants, but I guess I would have been retired for many years now if my application had been accepted after I came out of college so long ago in 1971. Well, thanks, Marco, for that revealing insight, that emotional and passionate view. This is Jeffrey Aaron. It's been 98 years to hell and back. Finnair, founded 98 years ago on November the 1st, 1923, and branded Arrow OY, started operations with a single Junkers 13 aircraft. 
But for us, Finnair began 50 years ago at JFK International Airport when Vinnie Panulo was the cargo guy, and then later Kari Tikkanen came into the picture and carried Finnair cargo for close to 20 years into modern times. In Helsinki, Arawahola was the grandmaster of the cargo form and was both a great man and a good friend at Finnair, as was Life Lundstrom. Along the way, Eric Beeman, Levy Ekman, late Levy Ekman, Karti Merrill, and Pasi Milpanen opened doors everywhere. After a big thaw in Russia, as the Berlin Wall fell, Finnair had the ticket to discover a brave new world. The atmosphere was electric, including travel from Helsinki to the former Soviet Union by air or bus via Viborg, that's Little Helsinki when it was part of Finland, it was repatriated by Russia at the end of World War II, and across the water to Tallinn, where Skype was founded, and elsewhere in the emerging Baltic states. We were traveling all over the place, discovering a new world. Helsinki to Tallinn and on to Moscow and beyond, the early 1990s still shimmer in memory as a thrilling journey to adventure and discovery. Trans-Russia, a trade show held in Moscow at the VVR every year. That's where they've got all the satellites and the Sputniks and the big space stuff and all the open air kind of uh, exhibits to show people and so forth. Commerce, it's a commerce park. Every year was a lot of fun and very enlightening. We learned things we never knew. The road to Moscow from the airport also had quite a bit of vodka at each one of the booths, I must say. That was that was sort of a change. Miami had the Chilean wine, but boy, the VVR had the, had the Jet A, believe me. Yeah. Yeah, Trans-Russia was the best. And the road to Moscow from the airport had some steel barricades. I remember that, too. When you landed at the airport in Moscow, and then you go down the road, in the center of the highway, there was a small marker in Russian recalling the furthest penetration into Russia by the Germans in World War II. You could see the spires of the Kremlin faintly visible off in the distance. That's how close they got. The cannons Napoleon left in retreat from Moscow are still on sentry duty at the entrance to the Kremlin on one side into the uh, into the uh, armaments area, what well, was the armaments area, now it's a guest center. The salmon-colored comb of Chekhov, the great playwright in Moscow. The breathtaking afternoons that turned into evenings in Helsinki at Surasari, the open-air museum. In the middle of Helsinki, you can reach that island by walking across a fretted white bridge and on the island, there are homes and artifacts and boats from Lapland and other locations in Finland, some hundreds of years old, that have been carefully brought and preserved forever. In the fall, especially around this time of year, they have big bonfires over there and, and festivals and parties. And it's just, it's really an absolutely magical place. Once you see Surasara, you'll never forget it. Finland also produced Eero Saarinen, who designed the Jefferson Arch in St. Louis, and of course the TWA terminal at JFK International, which is a living sculpture, which was, which was done with wooden molds and concrete poured ahead of a big storm in the early 60s, but fortunately the storm decided to go somewhere else and the building survives today. It's a hotel. So that was, that was part of the, the beauty and the romance and what we knew about Finnair. But in 1939, here's something you might not know, Finnair was on display at the New York World's Fair, promoting planned scheduled services from Helsinki to New York in 1940 via a four-engine, high-flying Focke-Wulf 200 Condor passenger aircraft. They'd ordered two of them 
Jackson Air had ordered two of those aircraft. In 1938, the FW-200 they ordered flew nonstop from Berlin to New York City, and it scared the living hell out of Pan Am, which was operating big, lumbering B-314 flying boats across the pond and everywhere else it could fly, which would have been instantly antique. Those aircraft, as passenger aircraft, were at least five years ahead of their time. Right now, there's one left in the world of all that were built. I don't know, a couple of hundred maybe, but there's one left in the world that's being restored or it has been restored in Germany. But minus the world at war, Finnair would have been flying nonstop HEL, LGA in 1940. So happy birthday, Finnair, and heartfelt thanks for the memories. May you always continue as a genuine treasure of an airline, not only for your accomplishments, but also for your inspirational independence and style. Want to know more about Finnair? Why not go to www.finnaircargo.com? This is Jeffrey Aaron. That's it for our presentation today, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for your time, this time, until next time. This is Jeffrey saying, keep them flying, air cargo. And good night, Joe, wherever you are.